Um, one of the things we we don't we try not to do as pastors here at the 456 is uh, let culture dictate the direction that we go on Sundays or even the direction we go as a church. But I feel like with the stuff that's gone on this week, I just wanted to, to just share a couple thoughts with you real quick about um, what happened in um, Minneapolis. And let me just tell you, our heart here at the 456 is to be proclaimers of the gospel, period. Um, we obviously are not of the mindset that there is um, one group of people that Jesus came for. We believe that Jesus came for everybody. We believe that according to Ephesians and Colossians, that in Christ we are now one, whether we are slave or free, Jew or Greek, male or female, um, whatever color your skin is, whatever economic background you come from, whatever your accent sounds like, whatever country you come from, that we are all one in Christ through faith. We don't believe there's any distinction. And so we believe here at the 456 that our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to proclaim that message to the world. Listen, racism will never go away until Jesus comes back. But what we can do is we can be proclaimers of the oneness of us in Christ by the way that we treat each other in the body of Christ, regardless of economics, regardless of race, regardless of any other stigma that might separate us. When we become one together in Christ and unite in that and are proclaimers of the gracious gift of the gospel that God has offered us, then what we do is we, we impact the culture in that way. And so let me just encourage you, maybe you're someone who's like big on social media, to temper what you do on social media and let it be shown more through the way that that you live and interact with other people, specifically how we love each other in the body of Christ. The world doesn't need to hear our opinions. They need to hear the gospel. Let me say that again. The world doesn't need to hear your opinion or my opinion. They need to hear the gospel, all right? So hopefully that is challenging and encouraging for you this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Um, so if you got your Bible, um, if you'll turn there, whether on your phone or in paper, Ryan loves paper. I like I like using my iPad or phone. Until I preach, I don't know what it is, but I still have not acclimated to preaching from an iPad, but it's happening, I promise. I think I need a bigger iPad is what it is. I need the iPad Pro. That will make me a better preacher from my iPad. Yeah, it's a good justification. So Acts chapter 2, let me just, as you're turning it, let me give you a little background of what's going on. Jesus um, has ascended back into heaven and uh, has tasked his disciples with this Matthew 28 task, the go and make disciples of all nations. He's told them to basically go proclaim the good news of what Jesus had come to do and what he had accomplished to everyone around. And so then they, the, the followers of Jesus that are left are meeting in this upper room in Acts, um, beginning of Acts chapter 2, or in chapter 1, I can't remember. And uh, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells them, and all of a sudden these group of guys um, who were somewhat timid about Jesus prior to Acts chapter 2, now are empowered by the Spirit, um, now adamant proclaimers of the gospel. And so Peter, as kind of the leader of this group, gets up in, at, 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 this, uh, at this feast, at this celebration amongst all these Jews who've come from all these other countries even to, uh, to celebrate this, this celebration of, of, of uh, Pentecost, I believe, together. And Peter preaches this amazing sermon. You can read it in Acts chapter 2, basically just proclaiming Jesus as the Christ. And at the end of this sermon, in Acts chapter 2, in verse 41, it says, So those who received his word, speaking of Peter, those who received his word were baptized. And listen, they were added about that day 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people 
after Peter preaches, put their faith in Jesus. There's all these new people who've come, and they've put their faith in Jesus. And then Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, talks about what these people do, and the 3,000 plus the other followers of Jesus, what these people to do together. And I'd like us to hone in on these verses and just take some application for how we can act together as a community, as followers of Jesus, and even more specifically here at the 456, how we can act in community together for the sake of the gospel so that the world can see a clear picture of Jesus. So let me read this section, and then we're just going to talk about some observations from these verses and how we can apply it to our lives. And here's what they did, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's a phenomenal section of how these brand new believers added to this group who've already put their faith in Jesus as the, the risen Savior, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, and how they acted together and uh, how they did life together. Let me just start by saying I don't think this is a list of principles that are rules for us to live by. I don't think that's the case. Uh, we can't attend the temple, so if we were going to make this a list of rules, then we're already out because we'd have to build a temple and attend it to make it a list of rules. I think what this is is an encouragement of how the body uh, acted together, and we can pull some things from this and say, here's how we could be better in community as people here now in 2020 as followers of Jesus. So let me just point out some observations of things that they did and talk about what that would look like for us in our lives. The first thing it says is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If you're in the room, say teaching. There we go. Get everybody involved. Say teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now notice that it says they devoted themselves. This isn't like they didn't have this, uh, this idea that one of them got up in the morning and they turned on the podcast of Peter's teaching um, in their own room by themselves in the closet. And they listened to Peter's teaching. They had some prayer time together. And then they didn't talk about God the rest of the day. It didn't talk about it that way. It says they devoted themselves. Say themselves. This is a group, this is a communal thing. that they, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Not individually, but together they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We grow together as a community, as in, in community, as we learn God's word together. Let me say it again. We grow together in community as we learn God's word together. Not just individually. I'm not saying don't have like a personal quiet time. I'm saying don't let your personal quiet time stay personal. Let it expand. Talk to people about what you're learning. Gather together for worship. Gather together to study the word together. Talk with each other about what you're learning in the scriptures. Let your learning of the word of God and the teachings of Jesus be communal and not just individual. When I was growing up, that's how I was taught, is have your personal daily quiet time and let that be your quiet time and let it be your walk with Jesus. Yes, have a walk with Jesus, but we were never meant to do this life by ourselves. So many of you feel like such failures in your walk with Christ because you don't feel like you're able to do it on your own. You were never made to do it on your own. We were always made to do it together. So do it together. I don't even think you have to read the Bible on your own. Read the Bible with people. Don't feel bad if you don't get up in the morning and read the Bible by yourself. Read the Bible with other people. Learn, listen to podcasts together. Listen to Ryan's teaching together. Go to Bible studies together. Do it together. In high school, I had a couple buddies, Matt. Bramlett and Brian Poppy, and I don't know what happened, how we got together, but I remember 
Um, I think it was our junior year of high school. It was Matt and I's junior year of high school. Brian was our age, but he was an overachiever, and so he was graduating a year early. But we were all junior's age, and uh, for whatever reason, we decided our junior year at some point, right before, I think before our junior year started, that we were going to walk with Jesus intently, the three of us, individually and together. And while all our other friends were doing all the other kinds of stuff that normal high school people do, we decided we wanted to be people who would commit our life to Jesus, and we were going to walk even as 16- and 17-year-old students um, with Jesus. And so instead of us going out and partying with everybody on Friday nights after the football games, after our football team got smoked by Permian and other people like that, we would get together um, at one of our houses, at my house, at Matt's house, or Brian's house, and we would stay the night at that person's house every Friday night, almost every Friday night. And we would start by talking about the things that we had been learning in the scripture that week. And then we would read something together from the scripture. And then we would talk about things we don't understand in the scripture. Like, what's the book of Lamentations about? I mean, nobody really even knows at that point. You know, junior, like, what's Lamentations about? We would say things like, what does it mean to speak in tongues? We would ask things like, what does it mean that this happened here? What about this historical thing? What do we think about when Jesus is coming back? 17-year-old students, teenagers, asking these questions we had the courage to do it because we did it together. Say together. Together. That's what, that's what gave us the courage to do this. And what's crazy is, is now I'm a pastor, Matt's a pastor, Brian's a pastor. Maybe that was the thing. Maybe the Spirit was like bringing us together to begin to shape us towards his calling for us in ministry later. But i got to tell you, my life in high school was such a phenomenal time of growth for me spiritually because I did it with those other two guys. We grow together in Christ, when we read the word together, when we, when we process the word together, when we listen to teaching together, don't do life in Jesus on your own. Let it be together. Don't let your personal time in the word stay personal. Let it be communal. Let it be communal. Say teaching. Come on, say teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The next thing it says is, and the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Say fellowship. It's the idea that they were gathering together. It was the gathering of believers. The fellowship was the gathering of believers. The word fellowship, it, it, it basically implies this intimate bond. The word here implies an intimate bond. And this isn't just people rallying behind a cause or supporting the same team. It's much deeper. This isn't just saying like, hey, we, we both, we're all Texans, so we rally together as Texans. Or we're all you know, we all are fans of the Cowboys, which you should be, but we're all fans of the Cowboys, and so we rally together. Shane's even wearing a Dallas Cowboys t-shirt today at church. Um, you know, it, it's deeper than just a cause. It's something more intimate. Um, let me exemplify it by this. I, Cammie and I have four sons, Seth, Aiden, Grayson, and Hayes, and I don't know if they know this, but of those four, I just got to be transparent with you today. Cammie and I have one of those sons that is what I would call a wayward son. It breaks my heart to even tell you this, but three of my sons are fans of da the Dallas Mavericks, and one of my sons is a fan of the Golden State Warriors. Mm. Aiden is a fan of, he's right, he's not an anti-Mavericks, but he's a fan of the Golden State Warriors. And so what's funny is, is we'll like banter with one another during the season whenever there is a basketball season. Last season, um, the, the, I think at the beginning of the year, the, at one point during the year, the Mavericks were playing the Warriors, and I told him before the game, I was like, I said, I bet you a dollar that the Mavericks are going to win, and that was the year the Warriors were amazing. He was like, no way. Well, guess who won that game? The Dallas Mavericks. Woo-hoo! You know, so like there was this, there's this obvious rift between us in those things, but it's fun banter. Now listen, if Aiden grows up, and actually become someone who doesn't like the Dallas Mavericks, 
I'm not going to be a happy father, obviously, because that's the, that's the team. You know, that's God's team. That's the people you got you to root for. But what doesn't change, joking, obviously, but what doesn't change is even if Aiden and I have different viewpoints on who our favorite basketball team is, that doesn't mean that he's not still my son. Say fellowship. His word implies an intimate bond that goes beyond um, preference, that goes beyond, like, just liking the same things. It's, it's the idea that we have something probably by the Spirit that binds us together. Say fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, the gathering of believers in this intimate kind of group setting. As Christians, we weren't made to do life on our own. We weren't. I said that earlier. The word fellowship even strengthens this idea in Acts chapter 2. This is people of a common faith who've all put their faith in Jesus with this intimate bond saying we are going to be people who do life together, who do life together. Uh, my parents, my mom and dad had this dog named Sebastian. Sebastian was, I think, like a Pekingese Shih Tzu mix. So he was like the, you know, like the super hairy little dog. Um, and uh, my mom passed away a few years ago. And after my mom passed away, uh, my dad still had Sebastian. Sebastian wasn't super old. He was probably 10 at this point, um, maybe 9 or 10. And my dad is a pastor. And so he was gone all day from the house. And uh, w- no one was ever home with Sebastian. And uh, maybe a, about a year after my mom passed away, we noticed that Sebastian was on, like, the end of his life. He would, um, when we walk into the house, he would, like, try to get up and push himself up on his front legs, but he would never pick up his back legs. He would never walk on his back legs. He'd, like, drag himself around. He would just pee and poop on the floor wherever he was. We thought, like, he's on the end of his life. Like, he's dying. His body's shutting down. And my dad didn't have time to, you know, t- to kind of take care of him. So my sister and her husband lived in San Angelo at the time. And so my sister told my dad, we'll take Sebastian, we'll keep him at our house. And so they took Sebastian to their house. Now, they at that time had two kids. And it was funny. Over the next few weeks, my sister Rachel started sending us pictures of Sebastian, this dog who we thought was dying that couldn't get his back legs up to walk, all of a sudden now is jumping and hopping and playing with the kids. Not dying. He was lonely. He was lonely. I think even dogs show this. I mean, maybe you've been in a place in life where you feel that way, where, like, you've been in a point of depression or you've had a really rough week or a really rough month or a really rough year, and our tendency is to step back and be not part of people and not be in community with people, specifically other people of faith in Jesus. But can I tell you, that is not how God built us. And the more you step back and seclude yourself from community, the more you will find yourself in a place of frustration and depression and loneliness. But the moment we recognize that we were called to fellowship, to do life together, then you find encouragement and hope and joy even in the midst of hard times. Ryan, uh, Ryan um, they can't have kids probably anymore. <laughs> They're probably too old for that. I don't know. Are you probably too old? Ryan's at least too old for that. Um, but not Ryan, but Pierce and Hannah. <laughs> Michelle's definitely not. She's younger than you, but you're way too old to have kids now. <laughs> uh, Pierce and Hannah had their first, <laughs> first kid this last week, um, Riley. Riley was born, and it was such an amazing thing to see um, both Pierce and Hannah just kind of react, but Riley has been in the NICU for a few days, and so our, our heart breaks with them um, as they struggle through just the, the hard time of having a baby that has has some issues, and I think Riley's fine, and she's, she's coming out of it, but um, what Pierce and Hannah didn't do is they didn't stop texting. They didn't stop communicating with us. They let those of us who are in their circle of life be part of this so that we could pray for Riley, so that we could um, joined together with them, and even just seeing pictures of her, that's community. Listen, I, I had a son, Hayes was in the NICU for like a week or more, 
a long time with some pretty serious stuff. And, and I know the emotion. I know the tendency to want to just, like, step back and say, I don't want to have anything to do with anybody. But the moment you do that, you separate yourself from something that has been ingrained in us by the Spirit is that we are called to do life together. Say fellowship. This is fellowship. So this is what they did. They devoted themselves to the fellowship or the gathering of believers. Don't seclude yourself. Be part of community. Be in fellowship with other believers. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. The next thing it says is they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Say breaking of bread. The idea of this, let me just tell you kind of what it would look like for us today. It's community in homes. It's fellowship in homes. A crucial part of our community is doing life together, not just church programs, not just being part of like Sunday worship or Wednesday Bible study, but actually doing life together. The idea of breaking of bread was this Jewish tradition where when people would gather in somebody's home to eat, that the head of the house would actually break the bread and divvy it out to everybody at the table, kind of like Jesus did at the Last Supper, at the, what we call the Lord's Supper. So it was this Jewish tradition that, that these people are carrying on. But the idea is simply that people are getting together and eating in their homes. This is the idea. They're eating in their homes. It's so funny when Christy, the last few weeks, since there haven't been a lot of people here, but, but Christy Dyer will bring us these, like, wonderful treats to eat in the morning. And it's funny how everybody in the room is spread out at church until she walks in with the treats. And then everybody flocks at the bar where she's got the treats. There, I don't know what it is, but there's something about food that brings us together. And I think that's what the scripture is implying here, that when we devote ourselves to hanging out together, specifically um, outside of just normal church programs and eating together, there's something that bonds us together. Every year, my family and I go to um, Pagosa Springs, Colorado. We have, um, my, my grandparents own a, a cabin. They call it a cabin. It's not a cabin. It's a pretty big house. But they own this house in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And every summer we go, so my family goes, my dad, my sister and brother's family usually go. We have some friends, the Stevensons, who usually go with us. And so there's quite a few people in this house um, staying for a week or a week and a half. And uh, last year, last summer, um, I got back to the, we got back to the house. Everybody kind of does their own thing during the day. Seth and I, I think, and maybe Aiden had gone fishing, and everybody else had gone hiking and horseback riding. We get back to the cabin. I'll call it a cabin. They get back to the cabin that night. We all eat dinner, and then everybody kind of does their own thing because they're tired and they're ready to rest, and everybody's, you know, on their iPads or watching TV or reading books or sitting on the porch watching, you know, the, the sunset in the mountains, which is amazing. Everybody's kind of spread out doing their own thing. But I'm a snacker. I have to snack all the time, and there weren't very many snacks in this house that I could eat. I'm allergic to, like, everything. So I needed, like, a, a fresh snack that didn't have artificial sweeteners in it because I'm so allergic to those. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to make cinnamon toast. My mom taught me how to make cinnamon toast a long time ago. It's just carrying on a traditions because it's phenomenal to remember my mom and because it's scrumptious and I love to eat it. But I, I thought I'm going to make cinnamon toast. And so I got all this stuff ready, um, warmed up the oven, got everything spread out um, on, the, on the bread, put the cinnamon and sugar on, and I put it in the oven, and I'm sitting in the kitchen waiting for the cinnamon toast to be done. And it, here's what's crazy. These people who are spread out all over this house doing their own thing, as soon as they start smelling the cinnamon toast cooking in the oven, heads start popping out around the corner. And people are going, and all of a sudden, 20 people that are spread out across the house, they're all, all in the kitchen. They're all in the kitchen next to, I made like four pieces of cinnamon toast, you know. And everybody's there. This is what it does. I don't know what it is about food, but when we eat together, it causes community. That's a really simple way for us to do life together. This isn't complicated. I hope you see this today. Read the word together. Talk about the word together. Um, 
do life together, eat together. You catching the idea? This is all together. Our lives are together. The next thing it says is they devoted themselves to the prayers. Say prayers. Notice it's prayers, not prayer. It's plural. This isn't like one prayer. This is they devoted themselves to praying together a lot. There's something special about praying together that is inexplainable. Is that a word? Unexplainable? Inconceivable. That's a Princess Bride reference. Unexplainable. I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's any scripture that even talks about what that is. But when you pray together, something happens. Something changes in that relationship. My dad used to tell my brother and I, um, when we were in college and we were dating, uh, he would say, don't pray with your girlfriend by yourself. He'd say, pray with your girlfriend, but don't pray with them by yourself because there's an intimacy that's created with prayer that can lead to other things. You want to have a good marriage? Pray together. That was the implication. I don't know what it is about prayer, but when you pray together, even those of you who have families and you pray together as a husband and wife or parents and kids, you can see that like it bonds you together. I love hearing my kids join in and us praying for things where we pray together for things and knowing that their heart is set in the same path as my heart. And the Spirit joining us together in that heart brings this intimacy that isn't accomplished in any other way. I wish I could give you more explanation of how that happens. But let me just tell you the Scripture, what the Scripture is implying is that we need to pray together. Pray together. You want to heal relationships? Pray together. No one complains when you pray together. No one has preferences when you pray together. (laughs) My grandpa who just passed away, it's so funny, he would always ask someone in the room to pray. He'd say, Micah, will you pray for us? And I'd start to pray, and as soon as I start, he would go, mm, and he would start praying behind me, like praying the things I was praying. And it was such an amazing, sometimes it was hard to pray, because you're like, Papa, I just want to pray, you know. Stop. But he was so engaged in this prayer that he wanted to be part of it. There's some kind of intimacy that's created when we pray together. Pray together. Say teaching. Come on, say teaching. Say fellowship. Say breaking of bread. And then prayers. These things bind us together. And so I hope that you can just take some encouragement from that. Let me quickly wrap this up as quickly as I can. The last thing is that I want you to notice, second to last thing, um, verse 45. Sorry, verse 44. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Let me say that again. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. All things in common. Not some things in common. Not a part of their life in common. They had all things in common. The implication is that they cared for one another because they believed that they were all of equal value. Those who had excess, it says in the next verse, those who had excess begin to sell their extra possessions to meet the needs of those who had need. Because they considered themselves of equal value. They had all things in common. We are way too selfish as American Christians. We are too wrapped up in our own life and our own things to recognize that it's not enough to just say, I gave some money towards a missionary or I gave some money towards digging a water well in Africa. What about the people in your church that have need? Are you and I willing to sell what we have to meet the needs of the people in our body? 
Because the idea here is that I'm not of any more value than you, and you're not of any more value than me. We are all together and in common. I remember years ago, I, I had a uh, Suburban that I traveled in because I had a band that traveled with me a lot when I did ministry on the road with, the, with do, doing worship in. I was supposed to drive to Houston, and I needed new tires badly. I pushed it way too long, and I didn't have money for tires. And I asked Ryan, like, hey, man, will you pray that I, I got to get tires, like, in the next two days? And I don't have any money. Will you just pray that God will provide? And it was so cool. He began to pray, and Ryan obviously didn't, Michelle didn't have much money at all, but they're savers, and they're good with their money. And so he calls me that day, I think, and said, hey, we just realized that we are the provision. They didn't have much, but they had some extras. You know what they did? They gave me money for tires. And I'm sure there's probably many of you who've had stories like that where, where you recognize a need and you were willing to get rid of what you something you had or give up something that you had planned, a vacation or something like that, to meet the needs of the people in the body. Can I tell you there's no greater picture of the gospel than those of us who are in the body of Christ living life together and meeting each other's needs, not because we deserve it, but because we are all one and we have everything in common. You want to fix racism in the body of Christ? Let this be your mindset, that we have everything in common. You want to fix the divide of socioeconomic status? We have everything in common. Let me make a side note. That doesn't mean you can't have stuff. It's a hard issue. Is that stuff yours, or is it something that you're willing to use for the sake of the glory of God? I've got guitars like crazy. And can I just tell you, I'd like to have more guitars. Cammie gave me money for a really nice guitar for our 10-year anniversary uh, a long time ago. And uh, that's this guitar here, and it's very expensive. And I don't let very many people play it because it's very expensive. But just because I have an expensive guitar doesn't mean I don't want another expensive guitar. But can I tell you that if there was a need, I'd probably sell my other guitars first. But if I had to, this one would go. Say common. They had everything in common. I was last story. I was in the Philippines um, years ago. Um, we we would <coughs> a group of us from the U.S. would 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 rent out like a a conference camp place, and we'd have the local Filipino missionaries who were um, reaching the Southeast Philippines, the Muslim areas for the sake of the gospel. We would gather them together, and we just have a time where we could hang out and encourage one another, just to give them some rest, and encourage them a little bit. And one of my favorite. Um, scenes, if you will, from this trip was I walked out of my room one day and there was a row of chairs um, lined up out in the middle of this. Um, it was it was a camp that was right on the beach. And so they had these chairs lined up kind of facing the beach. So you could see this gorgeous view and you could see the water. And there were all these Filipino missionary women, local Filipinos who were doing gospel work amongst the Muslims. They were sitting in these chairs and these Fairly well-off, very white American women had these Filipino women sitting in the chairs. And these white women, I'm emphasizing this so you can see the heart. These white women got on their knees and had all these, like, lotions and cleaning stuff. These Filipino women wear sandals. Their feet are disgusting, dirty. And they get down and they begin to wash the feet of these women. It's just dirt. It's just dirt. I'm not of any more value than my brothers and sisters in poor parts of the world because we have stuff. Because I have an expensive guitar. Because I have cars. That doesn't make me any better. 
If my heart in the midst of all the stuff is to proclaim the gospel by saying I am of no more value than people who have less than me, then what happens is the world sees a clear picture of the gospel. Where are you? Where's your hearts? Because what binds these people together is that they have everything in common. In spite of social economic status, in spite of race, in spite of country of origin, they understand that the Spirit binds them together through faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to just notice what happens. Look at the last verse, verse 47. At the end of verse 47, it says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When we live our lives in community with each other, we are a picture of Jesus to the world around us. And what this seems to imply is, is when the world sees a clear picture of the gospel, people get saved. People get saved. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, and they had everything in common. And as they did life like that, what happened is, is the world around saw a clear picture of the gospel, and people got saved. Let me just ask you a couple questions in closing. Are you doing life with other believers? And are you part of a community of the body of Christ? Do you do life with other believers, and are you part of a community of people who are of faith? And then I just want to ask you one other question. For those of you specifically who are here that are part of the 456, I know that we've just kind of started something new out here in Dove Creek, and there's a lot of you who are new. But let me just ask you, for those of you who have been coming to the 456, are you part of this community, or are you just coming? Are you part of this community, or are you just coming? But we want to encourage you, with what I would love to encourage you to do today is to think about life, not from the sense of this is my life, but from the sense of this is our life. That God has placed us in different venues and different jobs with different skill sets and different personalities to reach people with the gospel together. Are you part of this community? And so my hope today is that you've been encouraged by Acts chapter 2 in a way that will hopefully cause you to live in community with, with other believers around you for the sake of the gospel and that you will join us in this endeavor to be a community that proclaims the gospel. The 456 is built of people who have, have an eclectic background of, of, of denominations. Some of you uh, come from like Ryan's, like, like uh, super strict Southern Baptists. Some of you come from Assemblies of God. Some of you come from Catholics. Some of you come from all these other things. Listen, together here, we're not worried about that. What we're worried about is that we come together under the banner of people who've put their faith in Jesus, united by the Spirit, doing life together for the sake of the gospel, having everything in common as we do life together because we want people to know Jesus. And that's my hope for us. Are you doing life in community with other people? Are you doing life with other people in community? I hope so. I hope so. Let me pray for us today. Father, I pray that you would, God, just weigh that on our hearts. God, where we would be followers of you that aren't doing life on our own, but we're doing life together in community. I pray that you would make us here the 456 people who do that well and who, even, who can even set an example um, for what it looks like for other people of faith to do life together. God, let us um, learn you well. Let us fellowship well. Let us eat well. Let us pray well together and let us have everything in common for the sake of you being a proclaimer of the gospel through us. And we pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.